Welcome to National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them. The national parks have never been more popular, nor have they ever been quite as threatened as they are today. Now, through the end of the year, we are asking for your support for a fundraising campaign to ensure the National Parks Traveler's ongoing coverage of national parks and protected areas continues. This is Kurt Repencheck, your host at The Traveler. Your tax-deductible donation not only will help us land a $10,000 matching grant through a national campaign to benefit nonprofit media, but also enable us to capture additional matching dollars others have put up because of their belief in the Traveler's mission. Our goal is to raise at least $100,000 to take our coverage of the parks to the next level. Joining me to ask for your support are Lynn Riddick, my fellow podcaster, whose interviews and reports from the field bring the parks to life, and Kim O'Connell, a contributing writer who peeks behind the curtains, if you will, of the parks to bring you stories about restoration of historic artifacts, 19th century lock houses along the CNO Canal where you can spend a night or two, and whether to remove Confederate monuments from parks and misogynistic names being tacked onto climbing routes in the parks. Welcome back to The Traveler, ladies. Hi, Thanks, Kurt. Kurt. <laughs> I really appreciate you joining me today because um, fundraising is um, key to what we do here at The Traveler. We are a nonprofit news organization. We're not part of the federal government. Um, we don't have a big foundation behind us. And we really do rely on the readers and listeners to help us cover the parks. Without, without their charitable donations, we'd be out of business tomorrow. That's right. It's a tough position to be in because um, it's always difficult to ask people for money. Many people are spread thin, but this is such a, a worthy endeavor and it's just worth supporting, um, I believe. I mean, I've been following The Traveler for many years before I actually became a podcast producer. And I've always been so impressed by the quality of the writing, the research, the variety of articles, um, interesting pieces about what's going on in the parks, alarming stories about things that are happening uh, uh, in rapid succession, and a lot of lighthearted pieces, too, about fun things happening. Um, and then there's always stories about people doing stupid things in the park. But the variety of the articles, the quality of the writing, the quality of the research, and the fact that, what is it, Kurt, three million people tap into The Traveler every year for yeah, information? Roughly, roughly three million readers and listeners, and, and depending on how you... Look at Apple News's statistics. I mean, it could be as high as five million. But um, really, I mean, you, you've hit on it all, Lynn, right there. I mean, we tell stories that enlighten, entertain, educate, and from time to time actually annoy quite a few of our readers and listeners. You know, the coverage ranges from daily news events, such as recent stories about President Biden reinstating the original boundaries of Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante National Monuments, as well as the eruption of Kilauea Volcano at Hawaii Volcanoes National Park, uh, to exploration of topics such as the drought that's plagued the Southwest for 20 years, the crisis of stony coral tissues that are affecting coral reefs in the park system, and how climate change is impacting the national parks. It would be nice if we could all just go to a national park and not have a care in the world. And a lot of people do that. But I think it's really important for people to understand what's happening um, behind the scenes, environmentally, legislatively, and historically. And 
the more we become aware of what's happening in the parks, uh, the better equipped we are to deal with the issues that come before us. And so, you know, to be carefree, I don't think is a, a, an option for us. We, we all need to understand what's happening. And um, I know there are so many issues that are so pressing and so alarming and, you know, they, they, they almost can fall into a handful of topics, water or the lack of water, invasive species, oil and gas exploration and drilling, lack of staff, lack of park staff, um, maintenance backlogs, and of course crowds and facilities or the lack of facilities to handle those crowds. And the traveler covers all of those topics in a very in-depth manner and very understandable and um, actionable, really. And we also cover issues that a lot of the other media don't pay attention to. I mean, Kim, you were just down in uh, Great Smoky Mountains National Park um, in search of feral pigs. What's that all Yeah, about? I'm putting the finishing touches on an audio postcard about an amazing afternoon I spent with Ryan Williamson, one of the park's wildlife biologists, where we were traipsing around the various parts of the park while he showed me different kinds of traps that the park uses uh, to capture feral hogs. The feral hogs really compete with the native animals uh, for habitat and for food sources. And I would do that for free if I could. I would do that on my own dime if I had enough dimes to cover it. I would love to spend all my free time traipsing around a national park with park rangers to bring this news to people, but it costs money to do these things. And that's just the fact, it costs money to send our writers uh, out into the field to really get those in-depth stories that other outlets aren't covering, like you said. So it, it's important work that we're doing. It's tough work that we're doing, and it does require resources. It really does. And, you know, as you mentioned, there is no other news organization that covers the parks on a daily basis as a traveler does. You know, certainly the New York Times, the Washington Post, the LA Times, and, and the other legacy media, if you will, We'll go after the bigger stories, so to speak, um, the, the vandalism in the national parks that occurred during the, the partial government shutdown in, in which the traveler was out front on that coverage, somebody hitting golf balls in, in Yellowstone or into the Grand Canyon, but they don't cover the daily goings-on in the park system, whether it's a, a search and rescue that's, that's going on or whether um, congressional hearing into spending or just um, recently, the, the confirmation hearing of Charles Sams as the next Park Service director. And we are able to, to do that because that's what we do. We cover national parks and protected areas. And with additional revenues, not only can we you know, continue to provide that, that daily coverage of what's going on, but more in-depth coverage of some of these issues, whether it is, you know, how do we solve that um, that crowding issue in the national parks, what natural resources are being harmed by crowding in the national parks, to, to looking at some of the um, overlooked sites in the park systems that really deserve some coverage because they have some great stories. I know, Kim, you've wanted to go up to St. Gowden's National Historical Park for quite some time, and I'd love to get there too, although you're a little bit closer to us. But you know, what type of stories do you see coming out of a, a visit there? Well, I... I have had the incredible experience of being an artist in residence in two national parks, Shenandoah and Acadia National Park. It's an incredible privilege to be able to spend time and actually live in a national park for a couple of weeks while you are doing your art, which in my case is writing. But 
St. Gaudin celebrates art in the national parks as do several units of the national park system, but it's a little known gem of the park service. So I would really like to go up there and, and take a look and bring to readers more of these small stories about key figures that are protected in the many, many historic sites around our country. Like you said earlier, you know, the big media outlets are, you know, they cover the big picture stories. They also tend to go back to the same big iconic national parks that we hear about all the time, which are well worthy of massive coverage. And we cover them all the time too. But there are so many sparkling little units that are valuable um, and that have national significance and have their own interesting stories to tell. And so I think the more of that we can do, the better it is for all our readers and for the national park system. Kurt, you've said before that major news organizations will look to the traveler for story ideas. Can you think of any, any stories off the top of your head that were picked up by you know, major news organizations, whether printed or broadcast? You know, one of them was, as I alluded to a little, little while ago, was um, during the, the partial government shutdown in um, late 2018 into 2019, where the decision was made by the previous administration to, to keep the national park system open, even though the park staffs were basically a skeleton staff because they didn't have the, the, the budgetary means to, to stay fully um, staffed up. And there was some vandalism at Joshua Tree National Park. And um, I was actually at my desk when that press release from the park went out and I picked up the phone and called the superintendent and we had a good discussion about what the situation was on the ground there. And I guess um, um, Washington headquarters told him, don't you do any more interviews about this issue? And so as a result, um, the traveler was cited by CNN and uh, the Washington Post and Gizmodo and, and some others. And um, media were calling me up to interview me about interviewing the superintendent, which I really don't like to do that. Uh, another one was um, a couple years earlier where these two um, visitors to Yellowstone, I think they were from Ontario, somewhere in Canada, and they were um, in the Lamar Valley and they saw this bison calf by itself. And they thought that the bison calf was um, lost its mother, was an orphan or something like that. And so they actually put the bison calf in the back of their SUV and, and drove it to park headquarters thinking that the, the rangers could help it out. And the, the Washington Post quickly picked up on that story we also um, did a story about, you know, are the national parks a proper backdrop for Sports Illustrated's annual bathing suit issue, which got a lot of attention. And um, anyway, there there are a lot of stories that because we cover the parks on a daily basis, um, rise to the national attention because of our efforts. And since I started The Traveler, a little over 16 years ago, I have been the only full-time staffer. And that is why this fundraising campaign is so important because, you know, if, if you like the coverage that you're getting today on The Traveler through our words and through our podcasts and special reports, just think if we added two or three additional staffers and had a full-time development person who's out there raising money from foundations so we didn't have to ask our readers and listeners um, a couple times a year to, to help us out. I think it would just be incredible, the content that we could produce. I think that's very important to point out that there is no full-time development director or development person. That's you. You're the one doing this in, in light of all the other things that you do to keep the traveler up to date, current, uh, well-researched, 
And to be able to have a development person for the traveler is, is essential. And that I, I feel passionate about keeping the traveler going long after Kurt, you know, paddles off into the sunset on his kayak. But th those are the kinds of things that we want to keep going. We want this organization to keep providing timely, accurate, unbiased news. And the only way we can do it is through contributions from donors, sponsors. And um, it's, like I said, it's hard to ask people for money, but it is a necessary evil. And uh, it's well worth, you know, your donations are well worth it. You know, being a journalist for um, as many decades as I have been, obviously, I come into contact with a lot of other journalists. And um, one of my colleagues happens to be George Stone, who is the executive editor for travel at National Geographic. And he put it to me this way, National Parks Traveler is essential daily reading for anyone interested in conservation and exploration of our national parks and other public lands. And I think he really hit it on the head. I mean, that's that's our role. I mean, we want to educate people not only on the, the issues that are um, swirling around the park service and the national park system, but also the wonders of these places, because there are so many wonders that um, are out there. And, you know, science, uh, it seems like every year, every day, every month, are coming across some really interesting things in the, in the lands protected by the, the park service. I mean, just... Uh, uh, I think a month or so ago, we had the, the story out of White Sands National Park in New Mexico about these footprints that were dated back to, uh, boy, I forget, 20,000 years ago. Um, they really pushed back the accepted date of when humans were believed to, to have reached North America from, uh, from Asia. So it's not just about controversy. It's really about um, wonderment and, and exploration. And, and Kim, being a science writer, I know you're trying to find those stories and really intrigued by those stories. I am. I, I, what your comments made me think of was most of us who love the national parks go to the national parks for our vacations when we have time. But for most of us, we're sitting at our desks and in our houses most of the time. So national parks traveler, in addition to providing hard science stories and political stories and stories about the nitty gritty of the national park system. They provide park lovers a chance to get out in the parks vicariously, to do armchair traveling to the national parks. And that's such an important way to keep these special places that do give us that sense of wonderment in our lives, in our daily, weekly lives, when we can't leave our desk to go to Yellowstone or Shenandoah or someplace. And I think that is an immense service that kind of feeds the soul in addition to all the work that we do that feeds the mind. And that's part of the reason why I love the traveler and love writing for the traveler and love reading the traveler. I really enjoyed an article this week about the uh, designation of Mammoth Cave National Park in Kentucky as a dark skies park. Also recently, uh, Glacier National Park was designated the same. And that gives you a great feeling of progress in the right direction for people who like to watch the stars and see the skies at night and don't have that luxury uh, where we live in urban areas. It's nice to know that that's something that is being protected and looked at and enhanced in the national parks. And, you know, the traveler brings us stories like that that we might not read anywhere else. You know, whenever you start asking people for money, one of the first things they, they respond is, what are you going to use it for? 
And um, we have a strategic plan that we need to implement to, to move the traveler forward. And, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, we'd like to add a couple staffers. We don't need a staff of a dozen or two dozen, but but just two or three additional writers and editors. You know, and with that integral team, we can develop a dedicated, geographically dispersed small team of writers and photographers to cover the national park system. So, you know, we would use, you know, two or three in-house staffers and supplement them with a, a network of freelancers, which, you know, thankfully we've already established that across the country. And uh, I'm always getting inquiries from new writers, but, you know, we've got a pretty good stable right now. And if we had the resources, we'd certainly like to expand that. The money would also allow us to produce more investigative reports on how parks are being managed. I mean, people think an investigative story can be done overnight, and it really can't be. Uh, a perfect example is um, at Point Reyes National Seashore in California. The issue came up late this summer, early this fall, about the Park Service's decision to extend um, by 20 years um, ranching leases uh, for cattle operations on the seashore lands. And there's a conflict between the, the cattle grazing and the, the native Thule elk there. And that type of story is really hard to cover from five or six or 700 miles away. And we just need the resources to be able not only to, to send a writer there or send a writer and a photographer there, but to be able to take the time to, to properly talk to all the, the voices involved with this and look at all the angles and carefully craft a story. And one person can't do that while they're also trying to, to cover the daily goings-on across the national park system. Along with investigative reports, I mean, we want to offer you more regular in-depth analysis of park issues, such as the recent series we did on the drought in the Southwest and how that's impacting the national parks and their wildlife and that's going to be an ongoing story, whether it's a drought in the southwest or sea level rise on the east, more intense storms in the northwest. And, of course, you know, with more staff, we can provide more insights to help you, the readers and listeners, to make the most out of your national park adventures. You know, it's, it's funny. From time to time, I'll, I'll get an email from somebody saying, hey, we're going to spend a week to, to travel to Grand Teton and Yellowstone and Glacier National Park. What would you suggest? And my immediate response is get rid of two of those parks because each one of those parks deserves your attention for at least a week. And so, you know, we want to be able to provide that type of information in a, a library of sorts on the traveler so that if you are curious about, you know, going to Yellowstone or Acadia or Shenandoah, you'll be able to go to the traveler and go into our reading room and find, you know, some great stories that show you how to explore those parks and what to get out of your visit there. Yeah, there's plenty of guidebooks in the bookstores and the libraries to visiting the national park system, but they tend to be kind of overviews. And what's great about the travel information that the traveler provides is that it's sort of grounded in all this basis of journalism and investigation that we've been doing. So we really understand these parks and everything about these parks. And so, of course, we can also give you kind of the most in-depth information about how best to travel to these parks and get the most out of your experience. So I feel like it's it's particularly meaningful travel information, too. You know, if you believe in the work of the National Parks Conservation Association, we hope that you'll support the traveler so we can continue to delve into stories across the national park system that demand a little daylight, such as the case of uh, the Park Service seemingly stifling the sea turtle program at Padre Island National Seashore 
or drilling for oil at Big Cypress National Preserve. You know, it's interesting, um, Lynn, Kim and I went down to Florida in um, February, I think, of 2019, right before um, um, COVID. March of 2020. March of 2020, right before COVID really took hold. And we got on the ground, we went into Big Cypress, and we looked at uh, the tracks. I mean, you could call it damage that was done in exploration of uh, oil reserves in Big Cypress. You know, we talked to people on the ground, um, and it's a story that we've held on to, and we've we've followed the progress of what's going on with uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers saying that, yes, this was bad. They're in violation of their, their, their permits to uh, two weeks later – were so saying no 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 they're they're fine everything is hunky dory which was a surprising turn of face for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, but I, I raise this issue because National Parks Travelers based in Utah, Kim is based in uh, Arlington, Virginia. The two of us flew down to uh, Florida and, and spent you know four or five days there, and we've held on to this issue, and the Miami um, news media is picking up the story after we've reported on it which I think, you know, tells, you know, a perfect example of why our coverage is so important because we do these things on a daily basis where, you know, there's so many stories in Florida for Miami journalists to cover. And, and sometimes maybe the, the local story gets pushed under the rug and they don't realize what the situation is. But um, it really is important to have a dedicated media outlet following national parks because there are so many issues out there. Yeah, I read that article and I saw the footage that you guys shot when you were down in Big Cypress and it was shocking. The the swath 20 feet wide of destruction through the park for vehicles to go back and forth for the, the oil operations. And who would have known about that uh, on a national basis had the traveler not covered it? And I feel like being on the ground for that made such a difference in the way we wrote about what we were seeing, which is why being on the ground in the parks is so important because these major oil and gas exploration machines create these ruts through the backcountry of Big Cypress. And if we had just as writers described them as ruts or kind of paths, people might not have realized how wet they were. We were up to our ankles in water that was created by these this digging out of the landscape, literally sloshing through ankle deep water for miles and miles in the backcountry of Big Cypress. And we were able to write about that, have that visceral firsthand experience that really brought to life the extent of what we were seeing, which I'm not sure we would have been able to do if we were just relying on a source saying, oh yeah, these ruts exist in the landscape. So that's why being on the ground can be so important for journalism. And it's such an important story, um, what's going on at Big Cypress, because you know, anybody familiar with the Everglades, the river of grass that uh, flows down from Lake Okeechobee down to, to Florida Bay, roughly 40% of the water, um, Kim, I think that's what they told us when we were on the ground there, roughly 40% of the, the water that flows through Big Cypress flows into Everglades National Park before getting down to um, Florida Bay. And this oil exploration, which could turn into oil production, um, we're waiting to hear back from the Park Service on um, drilling permits that were requested. The, these ruts divert that that flow of water, and um, nobody's really studied exactly what that means. Um, how is it going to affect the ecosystem? What about the um, the karst topography, the, the limestone underground that is so porous? Um, what happens if there's an oil spill there or uh, 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 some sort of waste spill? 
And, you know, people may not be familiar with Big Cypress National Preserve, but certainly they've heard of the Everglades National Park. And, you know, these issues are really important to, to bring some light to and try and explain exactly what's going on. You know, and if you work for the National Park Service, we hope you'll support our work that examines how the agency is funding and why the Park Service ranks so low year after year in the annual Best Places to Work in Federal Government surveys. And our stories that raise awareness of what you do in the parks, you're so vital to keeping these places um, carefully managed and interesting for the visitors. And the stories that we write that highlight the maintenance backlog and even the living conditions that you endure we do this on a regular basis. I'm not sure many other media do it, and we try and bring a national perspective to the challenges that you, the National Park Service employees, um, endure on a daily basis. And we really could use your support, too, to keep the traveler moving forward. Yeah, and I might add that whenever I'm in a national park, I just love to go to a ranger talk or a ranger hike, ranger-led hikes. And they're so interesting. The, the park staff leading these talks or walks are so knowledgeable and informed and, you know, talking about history and research and nature and all kinds of things in the parks. And, you know, to know that at least in the last year, certainly probably the last four years that there's been a tremendous hit on park staffing is, is sad because we need more folks doing these things and helping the public come to an awareness and appreciation of what they're seeing, the resources in front of their eyes. So I wanna give a shout out to park staff who, who make these things possible and so enjoyable for me and, and many, many other thousands and thousands of people. You know, it was interesting during his confirmation hearing, Charles Sams was asked what his uh, priorities were for the park service and his top priority was to lift the morale of the National Park Service workforce. And that's an incredible statement on its face, but how is he going to do that? And um, the National Parks Traveler will be following that if he is indeed confirmed by the Senate and what he can do to actually raise the, the morale across the system. And I think part of it um, comes down to better pay for Park Service workers. I think it comes down to better housing. Obviously, it comes down to um, erasing sexual harassment across the parks and, and other types of harassment, whether it's uh, uh, age-related or gender-related. There's just so many issues out there that affect the workforce on a daily basis. And um, those stories need to be continually brought up to the American public because it's the American public who lobbies, if you will, their congressional de delegations to do something about this because you know, the parks are the, the most loved aspect of the federal government, I think. Another thing that the Traveler offers are weekly podcasts, and I like to sort of talk about those for a minute since I produce and write many of them, you know, really like producing them um, because I get to delve into a wide range of subjects and talk to experts doing all kinds of things in our national parks that, you know, the average visitor might not be aware of, you know, it's enjoyable and it's value added to the Traveler, I think. Um, I really get to learn a lot as I do these, and I enjoy sharing the knowledge that I get with our listeners. And some of the topics are really interesting. Um, some of the research topics that we've we've talked about, and scientists and researchers, you know, we've we've talked about the beluga whales in Alaska and bald eagles in Maryland and Virginia. 
coral transplantation in Dry Tortugas National Park, noise pollution everywhere in every park, volcanic activity in Yellowstone, and um, you know the efforts, broad-based efforts in California, Florida, North Carolina to expand or create wildlife corridors and animal crossings. And those are very interesting topics. And there's a lot that goes into these topics that our experts can shine light on. Plus, you know, if you listen to our podcast, you'll hear uh, our occasional ventures into the national parks. I love the time that I got to hike on the Appalachian Trail for my first time with a friend who had done the entire trail 40 years ago and had so much historical knowledge uh, that he was willing to share and also had kept copious notes on his trip while it was happening. And it was kind of fun to hear about that because so much has changed over 40 years, um, but so much has remained the same too. And, uh, you know, we got to talk about my trip to Mammoth Cave, Kentucky this summer and a uh, trip to Astigue Island National Seashore and uh, Fort McHenry, where I got a bunch of strangers to sing the Star Spangled Banner for me. <laughs> so the podcasts are really enjoyable things for me to do, and they, they offer our... Um, our readers and listeners, some other format to get news about the parks. You know, you're exactly right about that, Lynn. And, you know, Lynn and I go back to our college days and, and I was a editorial journalist, the written word, and, and Lynn was the expert in, in broadcast journalism. And I'd long had wanted to create some sort of radio channel for the traveler because people consume their media in different, different ways. I mean, I like I like to sit down with a book or a magazine and be able to dog ear the pages or, you know, stop here and uh, pick it up the next day. You know, a lot of people like to listen to podcasts um, when they're driving down the road or maybe cleaning the house or working in the field, whatever. And um, fortunately, my oldest son, Jesse Repencheck, just happens to be a sound recording engineer. And so he, he knows the ins and outs of, of podcast production and, and platforms and distribution. Lynn and I got back in touch with one another, and, and she knows um, the ins and outs of broadcast journalism, how to bring the written story to life through through talking to people and, and catching ambient sound out in the parks. And it really does bring another um, dimension to what we can do as a traveler. And, you know, as, as Lynn mentioned, you know, we want to spend more time out in the parks, you know, talking to rangers on the ground about some of the science they're doing or talking to to visitors about um, their experience in the parks and it's just another another format um, I guess a more lively format than the written word to bring these stories to life. You might be happy to know that when I recently drove down to the Blue Ridge Parkway in Great Smoky Mountains from Virginia I was binging National Parks Traveler podcasts the whole way and it was really fun it was it was fun to be on a long road trip actually going through sort of national park lands or going past Shenandoah, going down to the Blue Ridge Parkway and being in the spine of the Blue Ridge Mountains and, and hear about national park issues. It felt like a really nice companion for a long drive. Although I think they're also interesting to listen to when I'm doing dishes, you know, on a Sunday morning. So um, they're terrific. And I've enjoyed the, the, the podcasts and the audio postcards that I've participated in. Like Kurt, I'm a longtime print journalist. So it's an interesting new outlet uh, for creativity for me to 
to think in a different ways, slightly different ways about how to tell a story. And it's also enhanced what I think about when I'm out in a national park, when I'm reporting, or even when I'm just, you know, hiking in the park just for fun, like, what am I hearing? What can I capture for, for national parks traveler listeners, you know, so it's expanded my experiences as a contributor to this publication and, and as a park traveler, it's been really fun. You know, and the response of you, the listener um, to these podcasts has been nothing short of amazing to me. We launched them in February of 2019. And since then, we've seen over 260,000 downloads of our weekly episodes. And that amount of um, downloads and attention to National Parks Travelers Weekly podcast has us in the top 2% of the world's roughly 2.7 million active podcasts. And that's according to um, Listen Notes, an industry arm that uh, tracks podcasts across the world. And it's just amazing to, to watch the, the number of um, downloads increase week by week by week. And, and certainly, you know, the, there are lots of stories out there that we want to bring to you on podcast formats because not everybody's got time to, to sit down and read a book or you, you're wondering what to do when you're driving um, on your, your daily commute or, or, you know, if you're lucky enough to, to go on vacation and, and drive a good distance. These podcasts are perfect for that type of consumption. You know, if you are one of the roughly 3 million readers and listeners a year who come to The Traveler to learn about the national park system on a daily basis or once in a while, we hope you will donate so we can bring even more content to you on a daily basis. I mean, imagine if every one of those 3 million readers or listeners donated 50 cents one time a year. That would be an incredible infusion of funds to help us really take The Traveler to the next level. To try and encourage you to donate... Uh, a couple of years ago or 18 months ago, I wrote a book about bison in the national parks, um, iconic animal, the national mammal. And the book, Rebisoning the West, Restoring an American Icon to the Landscape, revolved around the Interior Department's efforts to look across the public lands in the Midwest and the West and take a look at where bison could be returned to the landscape, places like uh, Great Sand Dunes National Park and Preserve in Colorado. And, um, of course, we've got um, bison up on Wind Cave National Park and uh, Badlands National Park in South Dakota. But this story, um, it spun off from a series we had done a few years back on the brucellosis issue in Yellowstone National Park. And it prompted me to take a look at the history of bison in North America and take a look at what the... Um, the, the National Park Service and Interior Department officials and scientists were working on to try and identify landscapes where more bison could be released um, into the wild, as it were. And uh, the book goes into you know history. It, it looks at the genetic issues with uh, what is known as cattle integration, because back in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, there were there were efforts to cross bison with cattle to produce a, a hardier less cantankerous animal that ranchers could raise in the West and the Midwest, uh, a breed that could uh, tolerate the blizzards more carefully. Um, but it's a fascinating story. And um, for those who donate $100, I'd be happy to send you a, a signed copy of Rebisoning the West that uh, I think you'll enjoy in terms of uh, looking at the history and looking what's being done on the landscape. And, um, you know, you can go to... Uh, our, our PayPal site, if you go to the Traveler website and, and click on the donate buttons, 
it'll take you through to, to PayPal and you can identify yourself as I would like a rebicening the West copy and uh, be more than happy to send that out to those who donate um, $100 or, or more. And if they want a copy of that book, we're also working on um, some little, um, I'm not sure if they're, they're um, little pendants that you can hang from your necklace or, or, or a charm bracelet um, uh, an image of delicate arch. Um, one version is in silver, one version is in gold, and we'll be offering those. So keep a keep a look on the Traveler website for those offers. And um, we're also continuing looking for other things that um, I hate to call them premiums. Um, I know a lot of people um, like something in return. Some people just like to give because they believe in getting our content on a daily basis. But um, we're really Hope that you'll join us in um, ensuring that the traveler's longevity um, continues on and on and on in the years to come. So let me just say that I read Rebisoning the West, of course, and it's a fantastic book. Kurt, it's so well-researched. It's so well-written. It's so interesting. And the fact that we almost lost the American bison in such a short period of time because of greed and just a handful of people that were interested in saving the species and bringing them back. And then the efforts that you discuss in the book um, about bringing um, more herds, more genetically pure horde, uh, genetically pure herds. And uh, it's also, um, it's all clearly explained and so interesting. So it's a great book and it's a, a great thing for your national parks collection uh, for a small donation. And I also might say too about donating money. I, there's so many times where I hear an appeal um, from an organization, a nonprofit, and I fully intend to donate money, but I just sort of forget about it or I don't get around to it. And my intent is there, but I just sort of let it go. So I guess I want to make a play for folks that have the intention of wanting to donate to the traveler. Put it at the top of your to-do list or do it right now and make it happen because we can't do it without you. We need funds to keep going and to keep providing the great content that The Traveler provides for folks interested in all things national parks. And I would just add that every donation matters. So even if it's just a dollar or $5 or $10 or more, you know, anything you could give would make a difference to what the work that we're doing. Obviously, we could use donations year-round um, until we get to that level where foundations um, start supporting us. But um, right now, this campaign runs through December 31st. And um, if we can raise a, at least $10,000 in, in, in matching funds, that'll trigger a, a $10,000 grant that we can receive um, through the, the Newsmatch campaign. Of course, as I said earlier, our goal is to raise $100,000 it might sound like a steep goal, but when you realize that there are 3 million readers and listeners to The Traveler every year, it's not insurmountable. It should easily be within reach. And we can assure you that um, that money will be put right to work on the ground, covering national parks in the written word, in videos, in podcasts. One thing we hope to kick off um, possibly in November this month, but uh, more likely in December is a monthly webinar um, called a news magazine uh, video show um, with newsmakers um, talking about park funding, talking about issues across the park service, and also um, getting out into the parks and um, you know looking at some of the wonders. You know, it's not always 
uh, hard hitting news issues. I mean, one one person early on in our podcast series, you know, criticized the, the our podcast because they said they were too political. Well, unfortunately, politics governs how the the national parks are managed and how much funding they get, and that's why we have to cover those issues. That's why we want to cover those issues so you understand how your national parks are being managed because it is vital that um, the general public take an interest in how that management is occurring because only through your concern and your advocacy will things change for the better. And going back to your thought about, you know, the comment about the political component, I love the traveler's view, the section that does have some opinion. And you say there at the top of that section, we don't often take sides, but when we do, you can find our position here. And some of those position pieces are really, really interesting and, and um, well-supported by others. We are a nonpartisan publication. Um, we do cover controversial topics at times, which Kurt mentioned. I have written a couple of stories for The Traveler in the last year or two that touched on you know, highly political, or I should say politically charged issues such as the removal of Confederate monuments from uh, National Park battlefield sites and climbing route names that some have deemed racist and sexist. And those are difficult stories. And, you know, readers sometimes respond very strongly on both sides or multiple sides of these issues. And we welcome that, actually. We are publishing tough stories because it's important to understand that these, you know, issues are, exist. We're not afraid to go there and kind of talk about difficult issues and get conversations going in ways that I hope, you know, are useful to readers, that they feel that they can speak their mind and comment on our stories and feel like their voices are heard. So I appreciate that we're, you know, covering those issues and also offering a platform for readers to respond. It is, it is so very important. And, um, you know, we really appreciate all the listeners who download these podcasts on a weekly basis, and we're so thrilled to see the um, the growth in those podcasts. And we look forward to your support, because with your support, we can do so much more. For those who donate, we, we do have some premium uh, gifts, if you want to call them that, to, to show that we really appreciate your support of The Traveler. If you want to learn about bison history in North America and across the national parks, a $100 donation will send you a copy of uh, Rebisoning the West, Restoring an American Icon to the Landscape, and I'll sign that if you wish. We also have um, water bottles and, and National Parks Traveler ball caps. If you want to identify yourself as a traveler out in the parks, um, I'm always looking when I go out in the parks for somebody carrying one of our water bottles or, or wearing one of our hats so we can strike up a conversation. And... Um, We've got um, a couple different versions of water bottles, uh, a tumbler that I really enjoy um, that I keep around the house. But anyway, um, if you go to the Traveler website and you'll click on the donate buttons, you'll you'll find those those options available for you, and um, not just during this two month uh, fundraising campaign, but but throughout the year. Yeah, so those are some nice gifts to get to show your um, support of the National Parks Traveler and. Uh, we thank everyone in advance for all the support and any donations you can send our way. It will go to expanding our footprint of coverage of the parks. So keep it coming. That's our show for this week. We really appreciate you listening to our appeal. In the weeks ahead, I believe Lynn is going to be interviewing Tyler Nordgren, um, the brain behind um, the dark sky posters that are so popular across the country. 
We hope to bring you some live coverage, as it were, from uh, Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. Uh, Kilauea Volcano is still erupting, and uh, we hope to bring you something from the field on that. And as Kim had mentioned, she's uh, working on an audio postcard, which is a, a shorter version of our podcast on um, feral animals and the problems they're creating in the park system. It'll be kind of a, a teaser, if you will, to a longer story she's writing. Ladies, I really appreciate your help today. And obviously, I always appreciate your contributions to The Traveler. Our pleasure. Donations to the National Parks Traveler, a 501c3 nonprofit media organization, can be made online via the donate button found at the top of our homepage or by sending a check to Post Office Box 980452, Park City, Utah 84098. The following groups and organizations support the traveler. We hope you'll join them. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences it offers endure for generations to come. Show your appreciation at brpfoundation.org. Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most popular national parks in the United States. It is also one of the smallest and most vulnerable. That's why Friends of Acadia exists. Friends of Acadia is an independent organization of passionate people inspiring those who love this magnificent park to make a real and lasting difference for Acadia. You can make a difference too at friendsofacadia.org. The Grand Teton National Park Foundation is a private, nonprofit organization that supports projects that protect and enhance Grand Teton National Park's cultural, historic, and natural resources. By funding initiatives that go beyond what the National Park Service could accomplish on its own, foundation donors improve the visitor experience and provide benefits to the National Park System for decades to come. See their successes at gtnpf.org. From now through December 31st, 2021, Interior Federal Credit Union is offering auto loans with rates as low as 1.99% APR. If you aren't already a member, apply at interiorfcu.org Get ready for the holidays and take advantage of the year-end car deals. Use their car buying services to help find the best deal out there and start saving today. Interior Federal Credit Union, the official credit union for the Department of the Interior and your natural resource for financial services. The North Cascades Institute has a large portfolio. It is an environmental learning center, training center, conference center, and leadership center, all set in the splendor of the North Cascades National Park Complex. Learn more at ncascades.org. Nova Scotia, 8,000 miles of coastline dotted with colorful fishing villages, quaint coastal towns, and an abundance of scenic natural beauty. Home to two national parks, Cape Breton Highlands and Kajimakujik. Spend your nights under a canopy of twinkling stars. Spend your days exploring trails, beaches, historical waterways, and tons of cultural and recreational experiences. Visit NovaScotia.com today to start planning your natural getaway. The composers and musicians at Orange Tree Productions have created a unique collection known as the National Park Series that has grown to include more than 30 CD titles. Composed against the backdrop of a park's sounds of nature, these musical scores will connect you with these beautiful places and take you there, at least in your mind. 
This collection is the number one selling National Park audio series in the world and provides the background music for National Park's Travelers podcasts. Visit them at orangetreeproductions.com. Whether it be strategy, business planning, change management, board development, executive search, or diversity planning, Potrero Group is here to help. They mix a depth of experience in the parks and land space with a breadth of best practices from other industries. For more information or to schedule a preliminary conversation, go to potrerogroup.com. That's P-O-T-R-E-R-O group.com. Washington State is graced with three spectacular national parks, each different and special in their own unique ways. As the official nonprofit partner and the only philanthropic organization dedicated exclusively to supporting these parks through charitable contributions, Washington's National Park Fund has a mission to raise private support to deepen everyone's love for, understanding of, and experiences in Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Share your passion for these parks at WNPF.org. The Yosemite Conservancy helps visitors connect with Yosemite through adventures, volunteering, and the arts. It's the only nonprofit dedicated to supporting Yosemite National Park and funds grants to improve trails, restore habitat, protect wildlife, and inspire the next generation of nature lovers. Learn more at yosemite.org. Editing and production work for the National Parks Traveler podcast is done by Splitbeard Productions. You can learn more about us at splitbeardproductions.com. National Parks Traveler is a 501c3 nonprofit media organization that provides daily editorial coverage of national parks and protected areas. Traveler's coverage is made possible by reader and listener donations. Visit us at nationalparkstraveler.org.